Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with John Tillman. He's the CEO of the American Culture Project. He's also started numerous conservative organizations, including the Liberty Justice Center and the Illinois Policy Institute. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon. He's director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is January the 6th, and on the state, 1838, Samuel Morse's telegraph system was demonstrated for the first time at Speedwell Ironworks in Morristown, New Jersey. The telegraph, a device which was used electric impulses to transmit encoded messages over a wire, would eventually revolutionize long-distance communication, reaching the height of popularity in the 20s and 30s. Morse was born in April the 27th, 1791 in Charleston, Massachusetts. He attended Yale University where he was interested in art as well as electricity. Still in its infancy at the time, after college, Morse became a painter in 1832 while sailing home from Europe. He heard about the newly discovered electromagnet and came up with the idea for electric telegraph. He had no idea that other inventors were already at work on the concept. <clears throat> Moore spent the next several years developing a prototype and took on two partners, Leonard Gale and Alfred Vale, to help him. In 1838, he demonstrated his invention to use Morse code, at which dots and dashes represented letters and numbers. In 1843, Morse finally convinced a skeptical Congress to fund construction of the first telegraph line in the United States from Washington to Baltimore. In May 1844, he sent the first message on telegraph over the line with the message, What Hath God Wrought? Over the next few years, private companies used Morse code uh, patent to set up a, a telegraph lines across the Northeast. In 1871 or 51, the New York and Mississippi Valley Printing Company was founded. It was later changed its name to Western Union. In 1861, Western Union finished the first transcontinental line across the United States. Five years later, the first successful permanent line across the Atlantic Ocean was constructed, and by the end of the century, telegraph systems were in place in Africa, Asia, and Australia. Because telegraph companies typically charged by the word, telegrams soon known for their succinct prose, whether they contained happy or sad news, the word stop was free, which was used in place of a period. For, that, for which was no charge, by the way. In 1833, Western Union introduced singing telegrams, which uh, during World War II, Americans came to dread the sight of Western Union couriers because the military used telegrams to inform families about soldiers' deaths. Over the next course of the 20th century, telegraph messages were largely replaced by cheap, long-distance phone service, faxes, and other email. Western Union delivery is final in its final telegram in uh, January 2006. Morse died wealthy and famous in New York City on April the 2nd, 1872, at the age of 80. Imagine the communications innovation since 1838. I remember huddling around the family uh, a phone, making a call to Grandma, <laughs> and we wanted to make sure we all had a chance to say hello without taking up the three minutes that was being charged. Now it's virtually free. Unbelievable. So much innovations in the last... What is it, 160-some years? Well, on Monday night, Buffalo uh, Bills player uh, DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field after a tackle. I'm sure you've heard about this story. He uh, laid motionless, motionless as doctors worked on him. After several minutes, he was then carted off the field. Uh, the Buffalo issued, uh, Bills issued a statement early Tuesday on the condition. He said he had collapsed on the field. He was making progress. The game was suspended with uh, five minutes and 58 seconds left in the first quarter. Apparently, the NFL has decided not to continue the game. 
He suffered cardiac arrest following a hit in the game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. Uh, he sedated, but uh, yesterday he came to. He actually regained consciousness after being hospitalized for almost a week. The doctor reported that Hamlin regained consciousness on Wednesday night, and he still can't talk, uh, and he's attached to a breathing machine. And when DeMar asked the doctor who won the Bills-Bengal game using a paper and pen, uh, the healthcare team responded, you won. You won the game of life. Isn't, isn't that true? Just a remarkable recovery. Quite frankly, when I heard about this story, I just figured that uh, sooner or later he would just pass on. Well, sooner or later he will, but not uh, because of this injury, which is great. It's a miracle. Well, the deal is on the table that is expected to see 10, 12 Republican holdouts throw their support behind GOP leader Kevin McCarthy for Speaker. With a GOP slim majority in the House, McCarthy can only afford to lose four members of his caucus, so it's unclear if this deal will give him the speakership. A group of 20 Republicans threw their support behind uh, Byron Donalds and Kevin Hearn during the votes on Thursday. Uh, even President Donald Trump was nominated uh, for, the, for the job. The House has failed to elect a speaker despite 11 rounds of balloting over the past three days. Lawmakers will meet again on Friday at noon. That's today. The House voted to adjourn until noon on Friday after five more rounds of balloting to elect a speaker failed on Thursday. Uh, Representative-elect Kevin McCarthy has also not been able to strike a deal with about 20 Republican holdouts who have been voted for other members of the GOP during 11 rounds of balloting. The votes to adjourn were largely split along party lines. A deal to, uh, is on the table that is expected to see uh, 10 to 12 Republicans holdouts throw their support behind the GOP leader, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Representative Ralph Norman, pretty impressive guy from Oklahoma, says negotiations in round one expect talks to continue into the weekend. Referring to deal, Norman, this is the first rep time we've had to see a piece of paper with the commitments on it, so he's saying this is progress. After whether he'll change his vote Thursday, should the chamber continue their rounds of votes, Norman said, I'm voting for Byron Donalds. When asked if he expected to be in the Capitol through the weekend, he said, yeah, probably. <laughs> so Representative of Colorado, uh, Representative Lauren Boebert, called out former President Donald Trump on Wednesday over his endorsement of uh, McCarthy. She spoke on the floor at the House, beginning in its fifth vote for a new Speaker of, uh, of the House. She renominated uh, Byron Donalds, who received 20 votes on the fourth ballot. She also allegedly said she had some of her fellow Republicans were threatened pretty heavily during the conference discussions to get McCarthy the necessary votes to win the Speakership, which is a shame. <clears throat> I'm sure all those threats will be taken back. And of course, as I mentioned, uh, Matt Getz, uh, Getz uh, nominated uh, Donald Trump. He would be a great speaker. He had, if he'd spent about 100 days as Speaker of the House, uh, he'd, I'm sure, get a lot of things moving in the right direction. He could then resign and run, continue his uh, candidacy for president. Here's a quote from the social media. If only Kevin McCarthy fought as hard against Democrats during his career than, than he's fighting for his fellow Republicans right now, very telling that he won't budge an inch to conservatives, but we all know he'll fold like a cheap tent to the Democrats if he gets to be Speaker. And that is the real concern, isn't it? It is the real concern that uh, will he keep his word even in what he puts in writing. Uh, he's a transactional guy and uh, hasn't demonstrated, in my mind, a lot of commitment. And uh, quite, quite frankly, if he were Speaker of the House, he'd probably be down there in Kentucky with uh, the President and McConnell celebrating this big deal, financial deal, that they uh, had no business passing. Well, yesterday was just another bad day for financial markets. And why is that? Well, job openings in the, in the U.S. came in significantly above expectations for November. And the previous month's estimates saw a sizable upward revision underscored the persistent tightness of the U.S. labor market. You'd think that would be good news, but the markets didn't like it at all. The number of open positions at the end of November was 10.5 million, topping even the highest estimates. The median forecast was 10.1 million. The Federal Reserve closely watches the uh, job openings figure as a signal of demand for labor. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has said that in order for to bring down inflation, the Fed will have to reduce demand for labor. The Fed is 
is that elevated demand for labor will push wages and that will push up prices. Workers uh, might uh, then react to higher prices by seeking still higher wages, a process often described as wage price spiral. Federal officials worry that if uh, workers come to expect higher levels of inflation will persist, inflation will become entrenched in the economy, and central bankers believe that inflation expectations are still well anchored, but fear this could change if the Fed does not tame inflation soon. <clears throat> in my opinion, as we mentioned uh, previously, a lot of folks aren't working because it just pays to stay at home. In uh, three states, I think you could uh, earn the equivalent of $100,000 a year just by not working from all the welfare benefits and uh, unemployment benefits that you can receive. But there's other pressures on the market as well. Uh, Amazon has uh, announced major layoffs for 2023 with brutal cuts to workforce and in which it has already seen an unprecedented bloodbath for the tech sector. Amazon's layoff will impact about 18,000 employees, the highest number for any major tech company. Meanwhile, Salesforce announced it would lay off 8,000 workers. Of course, this hasn't been baked into the cake yet. Once these layoffs occur, I think it will impact these labor numbers we've been talking about. In addition, the American manufacturing sector uh, fell deeper into recession last month, according to the latest factory data. December saw manufacturing slow to its slowest pace since the start of the pandemic as demands remained low and production began to weaken, according to data. So uh, this is another sign that uh, soon this will be baked into the cake and I think it will have an impact on uh, reducing inflation. Also, on December the 27th, U.S. Virgin Islands Attorney General Denise George filed a major lawsuit against J.P. Morgan in the Manhattan Federal Court alleging that the bank behemoth helped to facilitate Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking enterprises on the island. The local St. Thomas Source uh, newspaper reported uh, his primary residence was Little St. James, his private island off of St. Thomas, where, where for years he trafficked girls and young women and ran a complex web of shell companies registered in the USVI that enabled his crimes, the court document alleges. Well, you know what? She ended up being fired for it. And uh, the consequence of that, of course, it, it makes me wonder, though, the president, while this all happened, happened to be in the Virgin Islands. Was there any connection? There's, you know, there's uh, certainly the, uh, we, we know that uh, the president was involved in the firing of a prosecutor in Ukraine. He was actually bragging about it. And I think you've probably seen the videotape. Well, uh, now this uh, prosecutor is being, uh, been fired uh, on New Year's Eve. In fact, she said, I relieved Denise George of her duties as Attorney General this weekend. Uh, Brian said, I thanked her for her service to the people of the territory during the past four years as Attorney General and wish her the best in her future endeavors. Uh, he's yet to explain why he did this. Anyhow, just very curious to me. There are no coincidences, quite frankly, uh, and uh, just makes me wonder. The President visiting the Virgin Islands, this happening at the same time, just raises questions. I'm not making any accusations, but it just raises, raises questions. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website 
website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, well, most health plans. Don't cover international travel. You can travel with confidence with international health insurance for as little as $1.25 a day. Make travel worry-free. Get a quote. Uh, visit the website, internationalhealthplans.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with John Tillman, very interesting uh, conservative. Right now we have with us uh, William Yateman, research, I should say, uh, senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. Uh, So we're a legal nonprofit, and we defend Americans from government overreach and abuse. And the website, I believe, is pacificlegal.org? Indeed it is. So let's talk about some of the current... uh, We're watching kind of Groundhog Day here up on Capitol Hill. When one nomination after another follows, it looks like nothing's happening. But I guess the situation is kind of fluid in the background. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Indeed. So this is something that we had spoken about, the the possibility of the speaker battle becoming a big deal, um, about three or four weeks ago. Yeah. And yes, so it's been three days, 11 votes that McCarthy has failed to get to the 218-vote threshold. And just to remind your listeners, to uh, the entire House votes on the Speaker. So that means Democrats vote, too, and given the GOP's slim majority, McCarthy can only lose four, uh, four votes in his own caucus. And as of now, there are about 20 members of his own caucus um, who oppose uh, his speakership. Um, so I also note here, well, as for what's next, um, it's anyone's guess. Yeah. Um, so it was reported this morning that McCarthy had reached a tentative deal um, with a, at least a critical mass of the 20 who are opposing him. Um, and these are reforms. We've actually spoken about these before. These, there's some common sense stuff in here, including things like um, uh, uh, 72 hours that, that uh, b- before, uh, between when a bill is dropped and when a bill ultimately receives a vote, just so that lawmakers can actually read the bill. Um, uh, another common sense measure is, is a return to the appropriations process as it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Congress created this process in the early 70s, um, a very rigorous process whereby they do first do a budget, then appropriations, and they do 12 separate measures to fund the entire government They've gotten far away from that process. Now, everything these days is these stopgap, either continuing resolutions or these omnibus measures where it's jammed down the member's uh, throat sort of at the midnight hour by leadership. So these are things that, that frankly, um, that I think are pretty darn sound ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll say this. What's going on here? Why are these 20 people opposing McCarthy? And there's really two reasons. Um, one, for, for a handful of them, it's personal animus. 
They just don't get along with McCarthy, and uh, it seems as though their opposition is perhaps implacable. But for 15 or 16 of them, um, the impetus here is really to try to turn the tide back on an unfortunate historical trend in the House. Mm -hmm. And that is to say, over the last four decades, we've seen an unprecedented centralization of power in the House of Representatives concentrated in the hands of leadership. And this has happened for for both Democrats and Republicans when they've held the majority. Um, And the long and short of it is, these days, virtually all legislation out of the House is negotiated in secret, behind closed doors, by a handful of House leaders, and then imposed on the the members, you know, on the rank and file. Um, That's not how things have always worked in Congress, and indeed, that's sort of an anomaly, historical anomaly, with respect to how things work in Congress and how they should work in Congress. So this... uh, you know, on the one hand, the opposition is perhaps animated by people's dis- or a certain a handful of these members dislike for McCarthy. But on the other hand, this opposition is being uh, fueled by something that I think is very healthy. Yeah. And, you know, the pendulum has swung far towards centralization in the House. And what we're seeing here is an effort by some rank and file to say, no, um, we were elected to Congress by our constituents, and we should have a stay, say in the lawmaking process as yeah. things used to be in Congress. You know, I think that's absolutely true, and uh, I'm not sure it's personal animus towards uh, McCarthy. I think it may be a lack of trust towards McCarthy, and the context, of course, is we've seen what's happened over the last decade with regard to what's gone in the House. It's you know, go along to get along, and uh, most of the power has been centralized, and to your point, I mean, it's been reducing the power of each individual representative. And I think that most, a lot of these guys are thinking, hey, we just need a, a new broom sweeps clean. Let's get somebody in there and change the course that we're going. There are some that say, you know, we'll, we'll get this written commitment from him. We're not sure we can trust it. Others would say, look, if he agrees to go along with this stuff, we'll gr- agree to, uh, to elect him as uh, speaker. Ed, look, you not only explained it more succinctly than I did, but I also agree that it's a personal animus was the wrong word uh, on my part. So you're exactly right. It's a lack of trust. Um, And as for what's next, things are very fluid, Um, you know, as as you noted at the outset. So it's unclear whether or not this tentative deal that McCarthy has reached would uh, would assuage, would win over, um, you know, I guess he needs uh, 16 of the 20 to come to his side. Yeah. And at the same time, with each passing hour and each passing failed vote, McCarthy's support, his base of support is eroding, um, you know, especially as we get into the weekend when these guys or these representatives normally fly home. Yeah. Um, so anger is starting to mount. It, what alternatives are out there? Um, generally, three names are being bandied about, um, and that is Representative Kevin Hearn out of Oklahoma, Representative Steve Scalise out of Louisiana, and Representative Byron Donalds out of uh, your home state of Florida. Yeah. And the, those are all three fine representatives, uh, to be perfectly frank, in my, in my humble opinion. So um, were, were the tide to turn against McCarthy, it seems as though one of those three would be the recipient of support around which uh, the GOP caucus would coalesce. Um, but again, situation very fluid right now. Well, I would say this. Um, uh, to me, a lot of people are complaining about it. It looks like chaos and so forth. I think it's about time we got back to this democratic process and deliberation, which can have a lot of anger and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, energy behind it. I think it's healthy. I don't think it's bad for the uh, Republican Party, nor do I think it's bad for uh, the United States of America. Heck, yeah, I could not agree more. And that, that is, I find these news reports, and of course we've got uh, the media perhaps motivated to paint an ugly picture of the GOP caucus or a GOP-controlled house, but you're exactly right. This is deliberation, and democracy isn't supposed to be a, a, a function of, of one leader imposing his will upon the rank and file. Um, this is very healthy. And I'll say this. The congressional calendar, that is to say, Congress sets its own schedule. Um, there used to be a time when Congress worked most of the year yeah. on the people's business. Right now, there are about 90 working days on the House of Representatives' working calendar for this year. So the notion that somehow uh, um, that this would cripple, that the, the current deliberations that I believe are crucially important, um, that they're crippling Congress is just ludicrous. I mean, Congress could 
very easily just assign itself 20 more days of work in a year, and they would still only work about half as much as the average person. Absolutely. William Yeaton, again, uh, Senior Legal Fellow at Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org is the website. Always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting. Whoops, I should stop that for now. (laughs) Coming up, we're going to be visiting with John Tillman, CEO of the American Culture Project. Very interesting discussion on the focus of Congress once we get a speaker. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. Changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and building a beautiful 44,000 square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now, we have with us John Tillman. He's the CEO of the American Culture Project. He's also been founder and chairman of numerous conservative organizations, including Liberty Justice Center and the Illinois Policy Institute. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be with you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thank you, John. Tell us about the American Culture Project. We founded the organization in order to engage in the battle for the soul of America's, uh, what, what America is going to be in the 21st century. The, the radicalized left is trying to change the very essence of America uh, from a country that was based on opportunity, uh, equality, and the idea of pursuing your version of the American dream. And what has always made America exceptional, you know, the greatest force for good ever created in the human sphere is our founding principles Mm -hmm. of individual liberty and that the individual is sovereign over the government and free enterprise. And so we believe in hope and aspiration and everybody having a chance to pursue their dream. The other side is selling uh, the idea of dependency and decline, that whatever calamity that falls upon you, Bob, it's not your fault, you're a victim. And only the government can come in to fix the problems. And uh, we really think that needs to be a debate that is engaged vigorously uh, because it's really dehumanizing, particularly to the poor and disadvantaged who are struggling to rise. And this is a great country where anybody can rise if they're given an opportunity. That's what we want to fight for. Wow, that sounds very impressive. You certainly have my support on your mission. So uh, you wrote a column, so interesting, Earth to Republicans, Voters Don't Care About Your Investigations. Maybe you can amplify and tell us about that. Well, I didn't write the headline. It's not the headline I would have chosen. Fox News wrote that headline. But nevertheless, the point of it is that investigations by the Republican majority are absolutely essential. We have to hold mm. the deep state and the Democrats accountable for 
big tech censorship, for the COVID misinformation and authoritarianism, uh, for the failures and just over the, of the intelligence services and becoming politicized and engaging in both the 2016 and 2020 uh, elections. All that is necessary. But my point is, is that what you want to lead your brand with as you try to win over swing independent voters who are starting to look your way? Mm-hmm. One of the reasons is there wasn't a huge red wave is because so many independent swing voters still did not buy into the Republican narrative because the Republicans didn't do a good job of selling what they're for. They did a good job of talking about the problems that President Biden had with 42 percent approval rating and the problems of the Democrat leadership in both the House and Senate. But they didn't do enough to say, well, here's what we would do. Here's how we're going to make your life better. Going back to my opening riff there on what we're about, Republicans have to have a positive agenda that tells Americans why their lives will be better. What are those policies? And that should come right up alongside and be front and center alongside those investigations. You know, it's kind of interesting. I recall a dialogue between uh, uh, our own uh, Rick Scott here in Florida when mm-hmm. it proposed a, uh, a set of policies to to do exactly what you just described. And Mitch McConnell said, hey, wait a minute, stop that. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't do anything like that. Who was right in your opinion? Oh, there's no question Rick Scott was right. And, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell's done a lot of great things, particularly when it comes to judiciary. But when it comes to this subject matter, uh, he is 180 degrees wrong. I thought what Rick Scott did was very brave. I might, you know, I could quibble with him about the issues. I could quibble with him about the framing because we all have opinions on that. This is a creative process. But the apps, the idea of putting an agenda forward and saying this is what we stand for, I think was brilliant. Uh, shorter and tighter is better, usually in those situations, uh, because people just don't want to absorb a 17-point plan. They want about a three-point plan. Right. And they have to be broad ideas. They don't have to be specific granular ideas. But the idea and the direction was correct. And, and in your own state, I know that, of course, Governor DeSantis is the new it boy for the entire Republican movement. But there's a reason for that. And the reason is he's done a beautiful job. And I've, I've seen him speak many times and, and been around him. And uh, uh, he's done a very good job of balancing what I just described. He does a very good job of prosecuting the attack on the other side, but then pivoting quickly to, here's what we're doing to make your life better. Yeah. And it's really simple. That's the formula. Here's what they're doing that's wrong, that's hurting you. Pivot. Here's what we're going to do, and here's what we are doing for you that's making your life better. It's a very simple formula. I'm always amazed how obtuse uh, Republicans are trying to execute it. You know, John, I actually had an opportunity to MC an event for uh, Donald Trump before he was elected president in 2016. And uh, it, there was so much joy in the crowd. that you, know, you hear about all the hate and animosity and all the things that are supposed to be going on with us uh, domestic extremists. But that wasn't the case. And what I saw was pure joy and expectation and happiness among the people that attended the event. And there's about 15,000 people that were there. I believe it's part of it is because uh, Trump led with Make America Great Again. He actually started with an economic plan and a, a, a way to bring us out of the malaise of what we've been experiencing. Well, what a great experience for you to be able to do that. That's an incredible honor and uh, not an easy thing to do because trying to emcee anything and, and control the man that is, the entertainer that is, and the uh, anomaly that Donald Trump uh, was and remains is, is no easy feat. So congratulations on that. Well, and I think you. that is a really, really important point, Bob, because people, people completely misunderstood the Trump phenomena, in my opinion. The, the, there was discontent in the country that we, we think of it as starting with the Tea Party, and then it started to fade a little bit in 2014 when the Republican establishment counterattacked. Mm-hmm. Trump came along and picked up the reins of that energy that was still there and gave it purpose and focus that was positive and uplifting, as you've just said. And that is an important thing. I, I, the way I always put it is the parade was already formed and sitting there, just stalled out, and he got in front of the parade and gave it purpose and, and direction. And you have to have a positive agenda. You, well, the way I always put it, Bob, is you have to, of course, get the people to ha- lose their loyalty to the status quo paradigm that is failing. But then you must pivot to what is your alternative paradigm that will make their life better. And a lot of times the other side does all they need to do to get people to be unhappy with them. So that means you need to spend more time selling your vision. And that's where the Republicans failed this cycle. And that's why I'm concerned about the balance between investigations and a positive agenda. Going back to the positiveness, I think one of the other things that is going on in the country, Bob, that is not well reported because of the media's bias in all this and why it is a culture war, is that, you know, even putting outside of a a Trump rally with 50,000 people, go down to uh, seed the table in Naples or, or a Walmart in Atlanta or someplace out in the Mountain West, wherever you want to go, urban America, rural America, black, white, brown, new immigrant, descendant of the Mayflower, uh, tall or short, educated, high school education, 
we all get along in our everyday life. We're all working together. Yeah. We're communing together. We're eating together. Everybody gets along in their daily life. This conflict that the media and the political establishments want to portray is all false. It's not happening in our daily lives. But they, both the media and the political class profit by creating separation and conflict. And that is part of what we're trying to fight to clarify with our work at American Culture Foundation. Such an interesting conversation, John. Uh, and right now, I, I see what's going on with the Biden administration. Uh, you know, it, the message is kind of "Don't believe your blind eyes." Listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> there's, there's no it's the greatest gaslighting in history. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I can't even describe one benefit that's come out of this Biden administration. Not, it's, it's more for supporting other agendas other than for the American people. I just understand why people support it. Well, if you're well, they support it in part because uh, they're being propagandized. Yeah. Uh, it really is incredible what has happened and how powerful the propaganda uh, instruments are today. I happen to be reading, uh, you know, like all people who listen to your show, we're all a little nerdy and dweebish on different things. And I happen to be reading William Shearer's uh, Berlin Diary, which was published in 1940, late 1940, when he returned from Berlin after being there for over a decade. Wow. And. Uh, he wrote Rise and Fall of the Third Reich is his greatest work, uh, but he's a very accomplished journalist, foreign correspondent in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. I mean, he's a little like Forrest Gump in that he was at the places where the great events occurred, particularly in the 30s in Germany. And so his diary is really interesting to read because, of course, he's writing it at the time. Uh -huh. And a fair amount of what he is writing about is, the, uh, of course, the authoritarian and repressive nature of the, the fascists uh, in Germany. And, the, uh, and how instinctive the people were to go along with suppressing dissent. And when you read that, it really is incredible now to come back to how the left has tried to control narrative, and the left has become anti-free speech, the left is anti-dissent, the left is anti-debate, the left is for cancel culture. This is a frightening uh, change in how the political left has been in this country for decades. Yeah. They used to be a champion of free speech, sometimes uncomfortably so. Yeah. Today they are a champion of uh, controlled speech, very much uncomfortably so, and this is what we have to fight every single day. And your governor there in Florida is doing a good job of it, by the way. Oh, absolutely. John Tillman, I just, uh, John, CEO of the American Culture Project, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show. Does American Culture Project have a website? Of course, I know it does, but maybe you could tell us what it is. It does, but, you know, it's kind of a funny one. It's amcult.org. So if you, if you just search my name in American Culture Project, it'll come up. All right, John, I John, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. I understand he's also a recent resident down here in Naples, so hopefully we'll have him back on the show more often. All right, coming up, I'm going to be visiting with, uh, who are we going to be visiting? Oh, yeah, Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700 or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. 
I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell and Dodd, professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now, we have with us Michael Cannon. He's director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Well, we're a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C., which means we want you to be able to live your life however you want, as long as you respect the equal rights of others. In my area, which is health policy, that means you get to make you get to exercise your most important health care right, which is to make your own health care decision. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe you could comment on that. I understand that uh, you've got a book that, uh, related to your field that's come out uh, published by the Cato Institute. That's right. It came out uh, last month. Uh, the title is "Empowering the New American Worker." And it's all about how to use markets to improve the the, the lot of the uh, uh, of the American worker, uh, given the challenges that they're facing in, in uh, with with economic growth and economic change, uh, including uh, in this post-COVID world. It is about health policy. I mean, there's we have a chapter on health policy, but there are also chapters about. Um, about sound money, about how to uh, improve regulation of the labor market, about how to uh, improve higher education and occupational licensing more broadly so that uh, American workers have more opportunity, uh, they have more, they have, well, have higher income and more job satisfaction as well. And especially in the in the healthcare area, we're seeing, quite frankly, in my opinion, we're seeing uh, individual choice slipping away day by day with regard to our uh, health insurance, with regard to our uh, individual care, what's available to us. What are your thoughts? Right. So uh, the chapter on healthcare, which I co-wrote with my colleague, a uh, general surgeon in Arizona and a senior fellow at the Cato Institute named Jeff Singer, we we talk about two main things. Uh, that two main changes that uh, policymakers need to enact so that workers can have more control over uh, both their health care decisions and the opportunities uh, and have more opportunity working in the health sector. To give the workers more control over their health decisions, we recommend changing the way the tax code treats health insurance because right now the tax code effectively says to workers, Either you let your employer control thousands of dollars of your earnings, yep. uh, about $16,000 if you have family coverage, or the government's going to penalize you if you want to take that $16,000 as cash and purchase your own health insurance. The government shouldn't be penalizing people unless, uh, unless they let an employer make their health care decisions for them. So we recommend a way of eliminating that penalty. It is by expanding health savings accounts, letting workers control that $16,000 themselves, which economy-wide would let workers control $1 trillion of their earnings that they currently do not control. That would be akin to a tax cut greater than the Reagan tax cuts of 1981. Wow. And then we also recommend eliminating a lot of the regulations that uh, not only uh, block opportunities for people to work in the health sector, but also deny you your right to choose the health care provider that you prefer. And here we're talking about state regulations that uh, that limit that that erect barriers to entry into the market for health the markets for health professionals uh, that 
artificially narrow the number of categories of health professionals that uh, require them to obtain unnecessary education and training, which increases, which makes it harder to become a, a physician or physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner, yeah. and then increases the prices that uh, for those services that you and I have to pay. Yeah. So just backing up here, Michael, if I understand correctly, then if uh, to level the playing field. Right now, if your employer is providing you insurance choices, you can select the plan and the the benefits are not taxed. If you go outside the plan and and decide to buy your own, you end up paying taxes on it. Is that the the penalty from the government? It is, and it's not a – Washington, D.C. doesn't call it a penalty. They never said, hey, we're basically going to enact an individual mandate here uh, for you to uh, enroll in employer-sponsored health insurance. Uh, they called it a tax break. Yeah. And in truth, you do pay less money to the government if you do what the government says. But functionally, this is a penalty. It is a, functionally a mandate to purchase health insurance. And if Obamacare's individual mandate angered you, well, then the way the tax code has been treating health insurance ever since the income tax became law back, back in the early 1900s, uh, that should make you even angrier than yeah. Obamacare's individual mandate did because it lets, as I said, your employer control $16,000 of your earnings that you should be controlling. And, and I'll add, and I'd appreciate your comment on this, is if I'm not mistaken, the employer has some skin in the game, so obviously uh, they're going to make a choice that not only benefits our workers but also benefits them. That's, that's right. The, you know, No employer is going to be able to uh, uh, pick the right health insurance plan for all of their employees. And so a lot of employees are getting health insurance that is uh, more comprehensive than what they want, and so they're losing income to that. A lot of them are getting health insurance that's less comprehensive than they want, right. and so they're being exposed to uh, risk that they don't want to uh, be exposed to. And uh, But the worst, uh, to my mind, the worst part of employer-sponsored health insurance is that it is not lifelong insurance that covers you through life's changes. You lose your employer-sponsored health insurance for all sorts of, uh, of, of stupid reasons, really. Yeah. Your health insurance shouldn't disappear just because your job does, because the plant closed, or because you divorce, or because you turned 18 or 26 or 65, for that matter. What a great point. And, and yet people lose their insurance for those reasons all the time after they get sick and then end up... Uh, 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 having difficulty obtaining the care that they need. Michael Kahn, again, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. I hope you check out the website, catocato.org. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks, Bob. Thank you as well. All right, coming up, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar 
the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics, they know the policy, and they prepare elected officials to win. I hope you'll check out the website. I proudly serve on the board. It is the FGA. Org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, also the author of a dozen books. His latest is a terrific read. It's called Architect- Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, a terrific book. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. I understand that we lost one of our astronauts here in the last few days. Yeah, Walter Cunningham... Uh a colonel, major, uh, you know, a colonel in the uh, Marine Corps, and an astronaut, a friend of mine, and a friend of Buzz Aldrin, and some other friends of mine, and uh, it's it's a real loss. Uh, he was a wonderful guy, and he, he was he was ninety years old, ninety years old, and uh, passed away a couple days ago. So yeah. We're certainly going to miss him. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, again, so many people made such a great contribution to our programs. Hopefully, uh, we're, we're and maybe through the private sector, we're going to see see uh, uh, revitalization of the space program. Well, I hope so. Uh, I think we're seeing some evidence of it, and I think Musk and the private sector are bringing some modernization to uh, NASA and some forward thinking that's been kind of missing recently, so uh, yeah, I'm encouraged by that, and I have a center at the University of Houston that I founded and still participate in that prepares space architects for, you know, for just that opportunity, and and actually, most of our graduates are being employed often before they graduate, so uh, the industry is looking very encouraging right now. Uh, that's outstanding. And by the way, your book just reflects all the innovations that, uh, even beyond space, that you've uh, created. Architectures beyond boxes and boundaries. My life by design by Larry Bell, Professor. Uh, you wrote a column, really interesting. Some of the dopiest twenty twenty two fake news delusions. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, I think between all of us, we can create quite a long list of uh, sort of debate, which is the which are the dumbest, uh, most outrageous uh, news matters of the past year. But I know a few that uh, Biden is, um, remember, he was the, the moderate unifier after crazy uh, Donald Trump. And, and, of course, the famous one that continues the southern border secure. Of course, we have you know, some doubts about that. And, <laughs> Record inflation is just temporary, and and of course the the riots on January sixth were an insurrection, although nobody was armed, and the only one shot was by a Capitol policeman, and so on. So, you know, and Joe didn't know about his Blood Hunters foreign deals. That was that continues to be a a story of those losing a lot of its uh, a lot of its credibility and. And, and, of course, uh, COVID, COVID started in a wet market mm-hmm. in, in China, not, not in a lab that we funded by any means. On and on and on and on. Uh, Putin blew up his own <clears throat> pipeline. This was a recent one, releasing all that methane into the atmosphere. Yeah. Of course, uh, that, that wouldn't make a lot of sense when he if he wanted to turn off the gas, he could just do so. So, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of these uh, these issues that I think, providing that the Republicans get, get their house in order and get a 
a speaker lined up and get these investigations going, uh, I expect we're going to find out a lot more about all of these. Well, I certainly hope so. And, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of work to be done in Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, we need these investigations. If for only to hold, there needs to be accountability. We can't allow people to continue to do things, and uh, just because they happen to be an elected official, they can skirt the law and uh, or they're related to a, an elected official. People need to be bound by the rule of law, and uh, those investigations are really important. And I understand that there's other issues, uh, for example, how about the debt ceiling? That's a big one. Well, I think there are a lot of issues uh, that are, are kind of structural and architectural in the sense of uh, the you know the our institutions the you know the the uh, I have to call it corruption of the FBI mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and the Department of Justice and. I think the sense that we really don't have a two-tier, we have a two-tier justice system that's, you know, we kind of got a strong sense of that back in the days when Lois Lerner uh, was, uh, you know, working against uh, non-profit conservative organizations getting tax departments, and, and, but we, now we realize that it's really both very broad and very deep, and, uh, Particularly in, it's not the rank and file agents, but really it's the uh, seventh floor headquarters of the FBI in Washington and that field office, which seems to have been totally politicized. And as evidence, also the you know the raid on Mar-a-Lago and on on, on the uh, you know well, it remains to be seen what Merrick Garland will do in terms of backing up any indictments that come out of these you know the you know the Republican hearings and everything from COVID to you know the Biden incorporated corruption and so on but I think all of this is uh, a prelude to 2024 and uh, that's really that's really I think the game that everybody's looking at you know the we don't expect to see a lot of you know, uh, people behind bars this year, if ever, but for next year. But I think it's it's a matter of really uh, maybe communicating to to a lot of low information voters of how far things have uh, gone askance. You know, I think that's such an important point. That I, I think uh, what can happen in the next year is the revelation and uh, the education of the American voter about exactly what's transpired in terms of the, the corruption. And then beyond that, of course, uh, we can't expect Maryland Gar- Merrick Garland to step up. We can't expect the FBI to somehow change their ways as a result of this. But uh, certainly 2024, all eyes are on 2024 right now. Who's going to be the presidential candidate for the Republican Party? I suspect it'll be Trump. That would be my hope. And uh, then, uh, how are we going to deal? Well, and by the way, there's going to be an important Senate election in 20, where, where there's going to be more seats for the Democrats than Republicans that'll be uh, voted on in 2024 as well. Yeah, I think the Democrats stand to lose about, or at least they have a two dozen seats that look pretty vulnerable, and uh, the Republicans, on the other hand, have a, have about 11, but they're not as nearly as. Uh, sensitive as, as those that the Democrats hold, so I think we'll see that, and I think we're going to see also uh, you know, another another uh, force that's happening is, uh, I think when, when Musk released the uh, Twitter files, right. they're saying that you know, the uh, collaboration between the FBI and and others uh, with with the censorship, and uh, presumably that's it's also very much a factor, I mean, we, we we believe it is at Facebook, and it probably is at the others as well. So I I think this year is going to be a year of revelations. That mm-hmm. in, in my in my thought is that it's going to just be too salacious and juicy for the mainstream media to continue to ignore. Yeah, and I could be wrong on that. but, wow. I but they're they're hemorrhaging for for eyeballs and ears. So I'm suspecting they're going to have to start covering some of this stuff. 
Absolutely. Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. I want to remind you that uh, he writes this column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Uh, you can find his columns there as well. And again, uh, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, is his latest work. Uh, professor, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for Monday. We'll visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He'll be joining us as well as Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several murder mysteries. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.